So it's time to sit in meditation now and we place our awareness on the breath as it comes and leaves. And this is uh, having uh, awareness over the body. So the Buddha taught about the four foundations of mindfulness. These are the, um, the bases which we use as for the mind to recollect. So there's the body, there's Vedana, feeling, Jitta, the mind, and Dhamma. So when we talk about the breath, focusing on the breath, this is the body. It's the air element which exists here in the body. Or we can uh, look over the other elements, the earth elements, so hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. Um, or there's the blood in the body, this forms a part of the water element. There's the heat, uh, which is part of the fire element, and then there's the breath as it comes and leaves, which forms a part of the wind element. So we contemplate the body um, in this way. We can do that, so looking into it as just these four elements. So when we practice recollecting the body in this way, being mindful of the body, of the breath as it comes and leaves, and then we'll also gain a knowledge of this. And sometimes we may try to recite the word Buddha along with the breath. When the mind is in a very peaceful state, then this word will disappear just by itself. We won't um, have the intention for that to happen. It'll just happen naturally. And then as we carry on uh, watching the breath and the heart becomes more peaceful, then it'll lose interest in the breath. It'll just be an inner state of stillness and peace. And then we have mindfulness of that peace. It can even feel like the body has disappeared and there's no feeling of any body there. And then when we come out of this state of samadhi, we'll slowly gain knowledge or gain a feeling of our body little by little. And we'll uh, realize where it is that we've been sitting. So it's possible for the mind to become still in this way. We can contemplate uh, the body, contemplate death. It's important to understand that all of these methods of meditation are for the sake of bringing the mind to peace. So some teachers uh, recommend to focus on the breath, and some recommend to look at the body, to contemplate the body. Or some teach about this meditation word of Buddha. But this is all to develop our mindfulness, to not allow the mind to go and think about other things, to not go off into the past or the future, but to be well established in the present moment so that the mind settles down into peace. And when it's in that state, then we'll come to know the mind as it proliferates. And when this knowledge comes up, then wisdom comes up, the wisdom that arises from bhavana, from this mental cultivation, seeing that the body is just a body. It's not a being, it's not an individual, a self or another. But in the beginning, all of our meditation practice is samatha, is this tranquility or calming meditation. So when we look at the body, that's for the sake of bringing the mind to peace. Separating it out into the elements is to bring the mind to peace. All of these methods are for peace. 
or for or having mindfulness of the breath. And in the end, this will lead the heart to a state of calm. So this is samatha, kamatana as well. And whatever we feel proficient and whatever our mindfulness can stay with, then we just take that up and we do that one thing. And then as we become more and more proficient in it, then it becomes easier. Uh, but in the beginning, uh, it can be quite difficult. So we need to endure. But then as the mind becomes peaceful, and we see it as it begins to proliferate, and if our mindfulness is quick enough to be on top of that, then this will be a cause for wisdom to arise. And this knowledge comes up that there's no being no individual, no self, no other there. It's just a collection of elements that have come together to form this body. That, or we can see the body as just being a, blag, a bag of blood, for instance, something that's filthy, just a collection of different aspects of the water element, or just a heap of earth, a collection of fire. And so when this knowledge, this true knowledge comes up, and this is vipassana, or clear insight, seeing that there's no, there's no true self there, this is the wisdom that comes from meditation. But in the beginning, we need to put our efforts in, we need to train our minds in order to get there. And just like all of us sitting here meditating, we also um, carry on this practice, even... Um, outside of formal meditation. So when we're eating or taking food, for example, we have mindfulness, we're careful. In all the work we do, we have mindfulness, looking after our hearts. And sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's peaceful, and sometimes it's not. But we always try to keep our minds um, established in the four Brahma Viharas of kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, have these caring for our hearts. And when we can do this, then it's a cause for inner peace. So like everyone who has come here and has uh, made your, you've all made your donations, and this brings about a joyous state of heart, and that there's this sacrifice that you have been doing in giving away your material possessions. And when you offer those, then there's an inner state of peace and of ease. We also need to be careful around that as well, because sometimes it's possible that there's greed lurking within those activities of generosity. And we need to try to defeat this greed, because it's something that has won over us for such a long time already. It's um, been covering over our hearts, so we need to think that one day we're going to have to defeat this. So it's normal that, or it's the normal state of, of for us, um, unawakened beings, that these defilements do cover over the mind. And how do they operate? Well, whenever we receive a sense impression, um, then they start to work. So we need to be mindful, mindful at that point, and do a lot of formal practice, a lot of sitting meditation, walking meditation. And sometimes we just simply don't want to walk, but we need to make ourselves do it. We need to set this firm determination to do it and to just carry on walking. Maybe do that for one hour, sit for an hour, and then go back to walking again and 
switch over like this. And even though sometimes there's peace, sometimes there's not peace, we still carry on doing it in a consistent way. And in the end, calm will have to arise little by little. We do a lot of sitting, a lot of walking until we feel tired and achy. And then when the body is very tired, um, it just won't want to think so much about things. And so mindfulness can be more easily established. And there's a story that I've told many times of when I was newly ordained at Wat Nambapong, and uh, we were building the Obosato Hall there. So we'd start working some nights at 6 p.m. and go on until 11 p.m. and work at uh, passing buckets full of dirt. So I had to use a lot of forbearance and endurance to do this. Um, in order to, to just carry on passing this um, earth back and forth um, throughout, uh, or very late until the night. So initially I thought that this is just very coarse activity and I can't meditate while doing this. But in the end, my body got really exhausted and it became quite achy. And so I thought it'd be better to establish my mindfulness. So as I was passing these buckets from left to right, left to right, um, then I had mindfulness over that. And not long, both my body and mind felt very light and buoyant. And there was a great peace in the mind that came up. So when the body's tired, the mind just doesn't want to think. So it's easier for calm to arise. Just like when we go through all the 32 parts of the body, we start off with the first five parts of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. And we go through these back and forth, and then we go on to the next five, uh, starting with flesh. And we carry on going until we get to the last part, the brain, and just doing five at a time. And as we carry on going through these, um, reciting these words back and forth, uh, then gradually they reduce in number. They go down from 32 to five, and the end just one, kesa, for example, and the mind settles on this one spot. And just like a monkey in a forest that's jumping around between 32 trees, and as it carries on bounding between these trees, in the end it becomes tired and it settles just on one single tree, and it becomes still and peaceful. This is what happens with our minds as well. So we try initially to establish our mindfulness just on one single object, but if we're not able to do that, then we can use many objects. So like all five of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. And in the end, the mind is peaceful and will just settle on one, just on kesa, hair of the head, for example, or on tacho, skin. So these are methods to bring our minds to peace. And when the mind is in a peaceful state, then it gains a temporary relief from the defilements. And this works, this peace of mind works to clean the heart, to make it bright. And this is what happens when we develop samatha, kamatana. In some places, they teach only vipassana. But really, this vipassana that they're teaching in the beginning is just a method to bring the mind to peace. 
It's not actually true insight. They teach to have mindfulness over physicality or mentality. But this is the method of using wisdom to give rise to samadhi. It's still samatha gamatana. But it's only when the mind is in a peaceful state that this true knowledge can arise, that wisdom comes up, that clear insight arises. That we see that this body is just a body. It's not a being, an individual, a self, or other. The mind is just the mind. In order to do this, we need to have developed our samadhi to a high degree already. And we do that through a lot of walking meditation, sitting meditation, really putting our efforts into this practice. And in the end, we'll gain results due to our efforts. So that we're able to gain relief from suffering, to find a way out of stress, is because of the effort that we put in. So we need to have this energy, this effort. And even if we feel like we just don't want to do it anymore, we need to carry on doing it. We need to carry on practicing. We need to um, put in this effort until we gain victory. So if the mind is thinking a lot, if there's a lot of proliferation and it's very restless, then we can just walk and walk and not stop. And we set a firm determination to do this and to really establish our mindfulness with this walking. And at the beginning there may be many thoughts going on, but as we carry on, mindfulness gets better. So what's really important is to make our mindfulness consistent and constant, and this constant stream. And uh, it may not be easy to do this in the beginning, um, but as we carry on going, then it can help us to find our way out of the hindrances. So these hindrances of liking and disliking, of aversion, of sleepiness, of doubt, of restlessness, these are things that have covered over our minds for a very long time. And so for us to clear them out, to find peace, it also takes time as well. We see that if we sleep too much, then it's hard to bring our minds to peace. If we're really, uh, if we're finding a lot of pleasure or delighting in sense objects, then bringing about inner peace is something that's difficult. But it's something that we work at. You know, we have our external work that we do. We also need to have internal work, and we can do both of these at the same time. So all of us here are Buddhists, and so we need to practice the Dhamma. It's something that is of immense importance. And we listen to Dhamma talks like this, and this is a method that the teachers use to instruct, to guide people. But we also need to put those teachings into practice as well, so that the reality of those teachings uh, can come up within our own hearts. So we care for our minds. And whether, or if the mind is delighting too much or becoming too averse, we really need to establish ourselves well within the precepts. And so sila is something that's very important. And sometimes uh, we have a lot of faith, and sometimes just a little bit of faith. Uh, but whatever the case, 
we need to try to keep ourselves within the bounds of morality, to have these five precepts as the normal level of virtue that we keep. And sometimes we can um, raise that up to the eight precepts on special occasions. But this, these five precepts really needs to be the standard for our behavior. So sometimes we have samadhi and sometimes not. Sometimes the mind is wise and sometimes it's not. But no matter what the case, we need to keep these five precepts. Because we still have this feeling that there's a self and that the self has possessions. So the self that we have needs to be a virtuous self. The possessions that we have need to come about through virtue. And so just like the great lay disciples, Anandapindika and Lady Visaka, they both lived at home. They both had uh, a husband or a wife, but they were able to attain to noble fruits. They had a lot of work to do. They had many children and grandchildren, but they also had a firm faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. And they um, were able to keep themselves within the bounds of these five precepts. So they had managed to destroy a portion of the defilements permanently. Um, this self-view, um, attachment to rites and rituals and skeptical doubt, they had done with that permanently, and destroyed it permanently. And they had a firm faith in the Buddha because they had practiced a lot before that. So like Lady Visaka, just at the age of seven years old, she could attain to Sotapanna. This is something that's very special. That even though she was a child, her mind wasn't the mind of a child. This was due to the Bharami that she had created, that she could attain um, two noble fruits at the age of seven years. And we see that nowadays, um, some children are geniuses. These exist, but they're very few. And it was also at the time of the Buddha and that there were um, children who could uh, become geniuses as well. It's like Lady Visaka and Andapindika. Um, they had very amazing minds. They gained a knowledge of the Dhamma that the Buddha taught. So for us, we should try to develop our paramis. And we use this opportunity that we have in this life to seek out the Dhamma of the Buddha. So when we practice, we're doing that uh, to, to realize this Dhamma, that which is able to make our minds bright and full. So we understand that when we gain a knowledge of the Dhamma, when we see the Dhamma, and when we see the Dhamma, then we see the Buddha. And it's not the case that because the Buddha has passed into Nibbana, he's just disappeared entirely, that he's been annihilated. And that's not how it is. And if we speak in terms of wisdom, then the Buddha is still here with us. And we can see him within our own hearts, within our minds. And we can attain to this inner state of awakening, this inner Buddha, within our own hearts. So, with everyone coming here, developing this path of practice, is um, cultivating or bringing up this inner Buddha as well. 
that uh, you all have made donations and everyone has found a joy in the Dhamma. And this is a very important source of nourishment for our hearts. And just like we use physical food to nourish our bodies, um, we also need a nourishment for our hearts as well. Because if our minds become dry, then they become very sad and despondent. And they don't have any value to them. And this is a great waste. But, or rather, if the mind is in the state, um, then it doesn't have much, much value to it. And so we need to bring the mind uh, to the Dhamma so that it gains this value, so that um, we realize this inner wealth. So the precepts that we keep becomes a wealth of the heart. And the samadhi that we train ourselves in, um, sometimes we can do it and sometimes not, but it also becomes a wealth of the heart. And we need to try and put in our effort, need to train ourselves and practice this way. If the mind is very scattered, um, then we can breathe deeply in and out uh, two or three times to uh, bring it back to this meditation object and train ourselves to bring the mind to peace. Train it to not uh, think too much about different things, but to come here into the present moment. And so for myself, when my mind was very scattered, I found it useful to go off into cremation grounds and practice there because it brought up a lot of fear, and this allowed the mind to settle down. So I used these ghosts and spirits as my teacher. And I saw that whenever my meditation object was absent, then terror would arise. There'd be this fear of death, and fear that uh, the body would meet with some danger. But I didn't die, although sometimes I thought that I wouldn't be able to take it any longer. But I'd already set this determination to stay there in this cremation ground, to not leave. So I had to carry on fighting. But when the mind settled down and gathered together, I could see that this body is just a body. And that there's nothing there to fear at all. It's just that the defilements have tricked me like this. Tricked me to be afraid of death. But I didn't meet with that death. I just had these thoughts about it. But for those who practice the Dhamma, they don't die. The mind is very bright and radiant. So we need to understand that our lives must end in death. And through doing this, we um, free ourselves from the realm of death. But for those people who are afraid of death, and they need to die many times, just like some people who get cancer, but they're not so worried about it. They go about treating their bodies. Um, and in the end, many of them can live a very long life. But for those people who get cancer and they're very afraid, um, oftentimes they die quite quickly. So we see that these things are matters of the mind. So we train ourselves to gain an understanding of this, that life must end in death, um, to really um, see this on, in a deep level. But we're not afraid of that. We see that if there are any defilements present in the mind, then we need to get born again. And these defilements can take us to be born countless times. 
whenever we are born, we don't want to die, but we can't stay in this world for very long, that our lives must end in death. The Buddha, however, had reached Nibbana, and um, so he didn't need to be born or die um, anymore. All that he experiences is the highest happiness. So this is something that we need to train ourselves to reach as well, this highest happiness. And it's the purpose of the practice. The happiness that we gain uh, from the different stages of the practice or from the things of this world, they're just temporary happinesses. And so the happiness we gain in the things in this world, they don't last very long. And just like we're leaning against a wall, uh, but that wall isn't very strong, so it falls on top of us and it causes our death. And in the same way, that's what happens when we depend upon the things of this world, when we depend upon physicality. And so we need to find something that our hearts can really rely upon before our bodies die. And to contemplate so that we die before we die and see that all material things must decay. They must break. And we understand that they've broken before they really break. And this is wisdom arising for us. So we need to develop our minds so that this wisdom does arise and we can let go little by little that this Nibbāna arises in our heart little by little. We see that um, for those great or those beings who have reached Nibbāna, uh, that their minds have become pure, and that purity works to purify the body as well. And when they die, their body turns into relics. So with Lumpucha, all of his remains turned into relics, that his bones became very uh, bright and pure. And even his feces that some of his disciples dug up they too had turned into relics. Even his saliva had turned into relics. Um, any part of his body that his disciples had collected or kept had turned into relics. It shows that the purity of his mind had also purified his body. So the Buddha taught us to walk this path of generosity, of virtue, and keeping our actions of body and speech within the bounds of the five precepts. And we also need to practice to train our minds as well. And this is something that uh, we can do. We can walk along this path of sila, samadhi, and banya. So on days like this, on Saturdays and Sundays, we take this opportunity to come and meditate here. And this is something very good that we're doing. It's a blessing in our lives. And this is how the noble beings in the past have practiced as well. Um, they developed their barami like this, just like how we are doing. And when their barami became full, then they were able to um, ordain and practice uh, sincerely and attain to the Dhamma. But it's not also necessary to ordain. We can do this at home as well. We just need to change the wrong views that we have into right views as views of a self into a view of anatta, of not-self. And even though our views have changed, we may still cling to that self. But what's important is that we change our views initially, um, saying things 
rather as being mine, um, and instead seeing them as being not mine. When we do this, then we drop into the stream of the Dhamma, into the stream of Nibbana. So we can ask ourselves, what really here is mine? When I eat food, then this goes into the body. You chew it, and then it uh, digests and get taken in by the body, and it turns into things like blood and bones. So how can this body really be mine? If I breathe in, but I don't breathe out, then the body dies, doesn't it? I can't control this. I can't force it to be otherwise. So we see that this is just the nature of this body. And the breath that we have is a necessary food for these physical forms. And that um, when there's an absence of the breath, then this body dies. So how could this body possibly be a self? It's just like a robot that has run out of oil and it can't move anymore. And so these bodies really are just like uh, biological machines. Um, They need water to feed them. They need heat. They need uh, solid things to feed them. And if they don't get this, then they die. So what about this thing is really me? If it doesn't get food, then it passes away, then it dies. So we ask ourselves these questions. We contemplate in this way, and the peace that we experience grows and grows. And then wisdom arises, and we're able to let go. We gain an understanding uh, of reality in this way by practicing like this. So may all of you try to train yourselves in this way. May all of you develop and grow in the Dhamma.